Cool, you ready? All right, All right, everyone, welcome back to the Headlight Podcast. Happy to have you here with us. Hope everyone's staying safe and um, you know at home in these in these crazy times. I have here with me virtually um, Brother Kashif from the Islamic Association of Raleigh. Really happy to have him here. Uh, and, and share some thoughts on his journey. He's currently serving as the Imam's assistant to the Imam's office at the IAR under Imam Muammar, Imam Abu Talib, and uh, Sheikh Badawi. And uh, really happy to have him have him here. Uh, hey, Kasha, if you want to say a few words about yourself. Uh, hi there, Ibrahim. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I think this is kind of us going full circle. When I first started getting involved in the community, you were the person that I spoke to, and now you gave me some advice and now it's going full circle and you're listening to me talking about my journey. Hey, so. no, it's, it's really cool to see uh, how, how far you've come Kashif and the, the kinds of work that you're doing uh, now. It's so, so impactful to the community, especially in this time. I know the mushroom has done a ton of, ton of work to kind of make this transformation from the physical to the digital. So t- tell us a little bit more for those that don't know uh, what kind of work do you do? Of course. So, you know, right now, the mosque is primarily all online. We're going with the tagline, the building is closed, but the masjid is open. As in, if you want to get involved with some religious programming, we've got two Quran recitation circles a day, virtual tarawih every day, a Jummah reminder, we're recording this on a Friday, so you can tune in on Fridays and hear the imam talk directly from the mimbar at the masjid about various Islamic reminders, things that you would hear just like a normal Jummah. Trying to reinforce that this might not be the new normal right now during this coronavirus pandemic, but there is some normalcy to it. And then we're also rolling out programs we've never done before. So we're having makarats, which are recitation circles. We're rolling out uh, daily dua and dhikr circles and virtual iftars. So people can tune in no matter where they are and eat a date with an imam. This is going to be this Ramadan above all other Ramadans. We've had more programming this time with the masjid being closed than we've ever had before. So it's an opportunity. You know, we had that verse in the Quran, uh, verily with hardship comes ease. And it's one that our community and especially the community around the lighthouse loves to use a lot. And it's a very impactful verse. And I think in this context, it has a secondary meaning in that there's a hardship in that we have a pandemic outside, we have to wash our hands five times a day, we have to put masks on, we can't see our loved ones. But there is an ease in that we're all craving a deeper connection with individuals. And we have an opportunity to reach out to people in that everyone's at home. No one has an excuse to say, I have to go to work tomorrow, I have to go to class tomorrow. They can watch a four hour long live stream of the Imam reciting Quran or talking to them. So it's an opportunity. That's really cool. No, I think uh, one of the things that I've found really powerful, I, I tuned into the Tarawi prayer last night um, and, and I found it really, really different than, you know, there's a lot of other institutions that are doing great work, but there's something about the familiarity of your own mosque, you know, a place that you've been to in the past, seeing it and that sense of connection, um, you know, even, even though it's, it's not real, you're not visiting, but um, just seeing it makes you feel connected with the community again. And, you know, Ramadan is such a special time for that reason. And that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges here for folks. I think that's an excellent point in that hearing a voice that you recognize that you've kind of grown up with 
is a huge component of making it feel like everything's kind of okay. It's that warm hug in a voice. You know, yesterday we had, I think it was almost 10 people just drove past the masjid, sit outside, maybe sat in the parking lot, and they wanted to be near the building because mm-hmm. it reminded them of a normal Ramadan. And then they pulled up the live stream on their phone and sat in the parking lot and watched. They understood that. They couldn't come inside. But they just wanted to be near that environment to feel that everything's okay. That's incredible, man. It's incredible. So uh, you told us a little bit of what you do and uh, the, the, the crazy times and how you've adjusted. Um, but what, what kind of started your journey? I know this has been a long journey for you. Uh, what inspired you to do this work? Tell us a little bit about how you got here. Of course. Of course. So, you know, we always joke that, you know, Muslim college students in America have that one moment. It's that spark that takes them from just being an observer of Islam to someone that becomes an evangelist of Islam. And mine came when I was at college, my freshman year. Now, bear in mind, in high school, I didn't have a lot of Muslim friends. I went to a Christian high school. I was the president, treasurer, and trash man at the MSA in high school. So I went to University of Delaware, the middle of nowhere. And it was, I wanted to get as far away from Raleigh as possible. But I was there and loving school. And then we had a test on a Saturday. And I don't know which professor decided that we should have an organic chemistry test on a Saturday, and especially Saturday, October 31st, Halloween. Oh, the day after Halloween, I'm sorry. And, you know, I'm Muslim, so I didn't go out. I'm not going to go partying and drinking like the rest of my classmates. But everyone else went out and had a blast of a time. We showed up to that test Saturday morning, bright and early, 9 a.m. And I was the only person there not hungover. And I'm like, wow, my faith really has been looking out for me. And I think that was one of the moments that reminded me of why I should be a Muslim. And that was 2014. So you fast forward about five months from then, I came back to Raleigh for the And I, I want to actually, sorry, sorry. I want to actually uh, pause there for a moment. Like what, what was going through your head there? Like you, you walked in and like, was it, was it just a realization of like, oh, this is, this is the impacts of drinking. Like, right. Like, I, I know for me as well, like in college, you're surrounded by it, but until, until you, you sort of have that awakening moment of like truly understanding what it does to people, sometimes you, you don't really know. So like what was going through your head that morning when you were in that, in that room? I think it was that kind of an awakening is like, this is kind of weird. Like why is everyone taking so long? And the real awakening is what happened a week later when we got our tests back and I saw that curve. And I didn't know that my classmates could help me out just that much by uh, partying and having a fun time. <laughs> so in some weird way, you actually benefited from everybody else being, being under the influence or, or, or hungover. Exactly, exactly. I, it, it's a true benefit in so many ways in that I never really like, you know, every time I have a, an experience that's maybe not the best Islamically, I can come back and find a proof that in the Quran or in the Hadith that says, it gives a reason for why this thing might have been outlawed 1400 years ago. And that was with wisdom that we don't even conceive today. You know, on a college campus, you walk around, you walk around on a Sunday morning at a college campus and you'll see people walking around and they're coming from their Saturday night activities. And you see that kind of how this leads to things, how we have a huge prevalence of STDs on college campuses. 
And in fact, 77% of Muslim youth in America are engaged in some kind of taboo activity. That's either gambling or drinking or smoking or taking drugs. And this is so far from the basis of Islam. But then you look at Islam outlawed these things for a completely different reason. It outlawed drinking for the fact that it might change your mental states and it might not give you the same connection to God. But now we're liking, oh, drinking makes you not wake up and not alert when you have a test mm-hmm. or it might cause you have a DUI. Islam outlawed certain things like, like premarital affairs for the fact that it might reduce the sanctity of a marriage. But then today we see unwanted teen pregnancies and STDs in the prevalence. Mm. So it's always just those moments blow my mind that our creator could have had this foresight far beyond we would have had this. And you see, especially now during this coronavirus pandemic, everyone's washing their hands five times a day. We're wearing uh, basically niqabs. <laughs> we're, not, we're putting our hands to our hearts. We're not going out like we usually do. Everyone's kind of following some Sharia Islamic practices. <laughs> it's so funny. I think I saw a, a tweet about that too. Someone was like complaining about, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the virus and then the Muslim countries and stuff. And, and someone was like, basically, you, you know, you're, you're basically acting like a Muslim right now, right? Doing the exact things that you mentioned, which is crazy. Um, but uh, cool, man. That's, that's, that's awesome that that is what kind of got you on this journey. And then how did you end up at the, the IAR itself. I know you talked about going to Delaware and then coming back, but tell us, right. tell us a little bit more about that. So what brought me back was 2015. We had in February, there was the funeral for Daya Yusin Razan. And I had never seen our community at that size, at that scale. Um, I maybe heard that we have a big community here, but I'd never seen what was 5,000 people praying in one field together or going to Apex Mosque at the time had an event for UMR that Razan was part of and seeing just how many young people that looked like me, talked like me, acted like me, were not the super conservative Muslim that you were ascribed to a masjid. They were just chill, normal people. Seeing that those people existed catalyzed something in me and made me realize, hey, the Muslim community is not as bad as I might've thought it was. So I started coming to the mosque a bit more, um, you know, obviously came to Jumma and then started attending some of the programs, attended a Saturday class with Imam Abu Talib. And right after that Saturday class was a meeting for Youth Day. This was in 2016, I believe. And we had Zainab Baloch and Mimra Hussein on there during that meeting. And they said, okay, come talk about Youth Day. Maybe you know some experiences about this. We're bringing back this idea for the first time in 10 years. We grew up with this, and now we want to give it back to the next generation. And then one of the leaders of Youth Day, I don't know if you've heard of him, was this guy, Ibrahim Khalifa. <laughs> World's uh, hardest leader, but he uh, was a very harsh leader, but he was dedicated. He, uh, made it, he whipped us into place. When we were late to meetings, he told us, this is not the right thing to do. You got to be professional about things. But he activated a lot of youth. And then we had... Youth Day, I think it was June of 2016. And this was a time where I was directly involved with planning some of the activities, designing the marketing materials, and engaging people. 
where we had almost 600 or 700, you know, elementary through college students out there volunteering to make it a better environment for those younger than them or playing basketball or playing on jump, jump bouncy castles. And it was this cohesive, exciting environment that was grounded in Islamic principles, but we were still acting like normal youth. And I think that was one of the truly profound moments. It was yeah. that. And then also in 2016, um, we had the IR open house. So that was right after Trump got elected. We had IR's open house and I was asked to MC and speak a little about being a Muslim youth in America. And to see 700 non-Muslims there, you know, having these people come to our mosque and be curious about Islam, not coming from a position of convince me that you guys aren't these terrorists I see on the news, but more of teach me more about you so I can understand you and tell people just how great Muslims are was a whole new and exciting experience for me. And it really inspired me. So those two events, one of dawah and outreach and supporting the non-Muslim community, showcasing Islam, and then of the youth of showcasing that we can have so much fun without the drinking, without the negative side effects. And we can all be basically normal college students in America that are just grounded by some specific Islamic principles brought it together. Mm -hmm. And that propelled me towards the lighthouse project. Yeah. So that, that's really cool. I mean, I think, I think the, the common layer here really, and it's, it's, it's almost deeper than, than any one religion. I think, I think people, people crave a sense of community, right? A sense of belonging. Um, and and at, at the core, at the root of that, I think is, is sort of, um, a human, human need, a base human need to kind of be in that space. And, um, you know, for, for a lot of folks, they might find a, a community that um, is a very surface community, right? Where, where everyone's kind of in it for themselves. Um, but the difference, I think, with a community that you find at, at a mosque potentially um, uh, is, is sort of this deeper purpose that everyone's aligned to, right? And so people, people are there uh, not not just for themselves, but for for what they can achieve, you know, for for their their afterlife, which is really really deep. Uh, it's a deep connection, and um, it creates a different sense of community and different sense of belonging. So I feel like maybe this this you know you can obviously talk about it in your own words, but like that's that's what I I'm getting from your story is like you kind of found uh, a sense of belonging that was different maybe than some of the other belongings. Oh, without a doubt. Um, I think you nailed it right there that this is a different sense of belonging and it gave me a place to just be me. It both gave me a place to be Kashif and then a place to mold Kashif into someone new, into someone better than I was before. And, you know, I'll be honest, my prayers were not as regular as they should have been before. But then when you're surrounded by so many Muslims, you're kind of forced to pray though her and us are on time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very real struggle. I think most, most people go through that, right? I mean, we're fortunate we're in the month of Ramadan where, you know, you're a little bit more cognizant of that, but for most people work, work is the exact opposite, right? You go to work and it's harder to pray on time, not easier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a blessing that I can 
show up at the office or at the mosque and our meetings are kind of bracketed by prayers that will start it off by praying Zohar, which, and someone told me this is that, you know, you come to the mosque, not for the meeting, but you come for the prayer and then the meetings, a side part of that. And that refocuses your intention that you're not doing this for mankind. You're doing this for you and for your God, that your intention needs to be pure and you need to remind yourself that I'm no bigger than this prayer. I'm no bigger than my God. I'm just a humble servant working towards his elms, his aims. So having that prayer to bracket my meetings has definitely refocused things, especially when we have moments where like our community will have some very exciting and interesting requests. Um, you know, people will ask, is always people asking for financial contributions that and, you know, we're happy to help out with that from IAR's community perspective. If someone's from within the triangle, and then you'll have people come from Nigeria and the UK and Canada. They're asking for contributions or assistance or people that have an emergency where they need to talk to an imam. But you find out that maybe they could have been dealt with in a better way. And having some of these frustrations of the community, which are also blessings, and frustrations of within our masjid itself of different levels of culture and professionalism having that refocus of we're all here we're all going to pray this prayer together and we're all going to end up in the same white sheets in the same zebulon cemetery is kind of a reminder that none of this other nonsense bs matters yeah that's very very like true and very humbling to have that reminder constantly. I think it's different maybe when, you know, someone like myself maybe comes to the masjid uh, sporadically and not on a regular basis, not on a daily basis at least. And, um, you know, to have that reset before almost every kind of work meeting would be incredible. Uh, so it's, it's cool that you're able to, to do that. Well, you, you touched a little bit on some of the challenges, but like, has there been like one occasion or one time that was even more challenging than normal? I know, dealing with the community, dealing with just community work in general. There's sort of this element of politics. There's an element of like long hours, um, you know, all these, all these challenges that most people don't, don't see um, on, a, on a regular basis. But like what challenges have you faced in this, in this process? Can you highlight some of the, the, the ones that stick out? Of course. Um, so I think one of the big challenges was in my second or third week in working in the imam's office, I decided to include my phone number on my email signature. And, you know, I'm going about emailing people and uh, helping out the community when they have religious inquiries. Maybe they'll submit it to the imam's corner and I'll follow up and say, this is the best resource to go to. The imam's not going to be able to address this. Like if it's a, they might have a request for counseling and it's best to be handled by the IAR mental health team. So I just forward them along. So about two weeks in, someone calls me at one in the morning and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Maybe this is an issue. And they're speaking purely in Arabic. And I'm like, La, I don't speak no Arabic. Yeah. I don't speak Urdu either. But I definitely don't <laughs> speak any Arabic. And kind of having that reminder that, you know, some people don't have a lot of other resources here and they're very much by themselves. In fact, it was week one of the coronavirus pandemic. And I was at the mosque 
just pulling in because I had a meeting and the gates were closed. So I'm opening up the gates and about to close them off when a brother comes to the mosque and he doesn't speak any English. He's from Morocco and he has just lost his job. And we're trying to communicate me explaining to him that he can't come into the masjid, but I want to help him. But I also don't speak his language and him trying to vent his frustrations that this is the only place he knows to come to. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't have family. He doesn't have friends here. And having that reminder of, as you said, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, remembering that I myself am in kind of a bubble in that I was born, almost born and educated here that I take a lot of things for granted, but a lot of those people out there, this is a whole new territory for them. And you've got to think twice before you raise your voice or before you make a phone call at 1 a.m. in a different language. Yeah, no, that's that's a really uh, stark stark point, I think, one that uh, you know, we, don't, we don't always appreciate, especially you know, kind of having grown up here where we're sort of used to the cultural norms here, you know, the masjid you have, a lot of folks that that are in a, in a foreign place and, and they sort of ascribe to the mosque being the one spot where they can go and get a small taste of, of things back home. And even though those, those things aren't really um, understood by someone that's grown up here, I think that's, that's a really important perspective to, to share. So I appreciate you sharing that story. I hope, uh, hope our listeners find that interesting as well. Um, so I, I know our time here is is wrapping up rapidly. I wanted to to thank you for for being here today and giving us a little bit of gl- of a glimpse inside kind of the 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 back office of the the masjid and some of the the issues and challenges that you face there and some of the ways that that you guys are really trying to make the most of the opportunities that we have despite the challenges that we face in in, in this Ramadan. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, to give you a chance to share what, what the IAR is doing in this, in this time. How, um, how can people stay engaged, still feel like they have this sense of belonging that we talked about uh, to the masjid, you know, uh, at, a, at a time when that's what everyone is craving. So t- tell us a little more. Of course. So we have a lot of online and virtual resources um, through our new Ramadan hub, which... I'll get to in a second, but first I want to just plug someone else for a second. Uh, When I first started working in the masjid, it was with the youth day and with all the youth committee things. And our first event was youth day and then college nights. And then college night was this wonderful event. We had a hundred students attend there. Great reminder. And then I moved on from the mosque for a little bit and started working with the lighthouse with triangle Muslim aid. And then I went from having my bot, my, leader uh the youth of the mosque was ibrahim khalifa then the leader the chairman of the lighthouse was ibrahim khalifa and now i'm back at the mosque and i'm working as the mvp as the imam's assistant and a sure member is ibrahim khalifa so uh, you've been a real constant in my life during these uh changing and difficult times so thank you so much for helping me out there but a way to happy to be there man appreciate appreciate it you know, they said that the first thing, the second thing the prophet established when he moved to Medina was the ummah, was the family. So I'm very thankful for that. And a way to communicate with the IAR family is with our new Ramadan hub, our new virtual programming hub on raleighmasjid.org slash imams corner. So you go to that website and I recommend bookmarking it 
And that link is is going to be in the uh, podcast description for all you listeners. Perfect. So I recommend bookmarking that site. We're going to have links to everything you might need this Ramadan. If you're curious about what Fidya is, what Zakat is, when is Eid, what are the virtual programmings, they're all going to be on there. There'll be links to some of our new and fun programs. So we're going to do a Ramadan habit challenge where don't just say I'm going to read the Quran every day during Ramadan, but make this a habit that you can sustain beyond this month. And that's one of the big things that we're going to be programming and publicizing soon. So you can also follow us all across social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, and MySpace at Raleigh Masjid. So you just follow us there and keep connected to us. That's our theme, actually, keeping you connected. So awesome. Good luck, good luck here. Well, I appreciate you joining us today, uh, Kashif. I appreciate you sharing all the resources and all the great work that you guys are doing over at the Raleigh Masjid. Um, again, folks, that, that link is going to be in the description. It's raleighmasjid.org forward slash Imam's Corner. Um, and, you know, get connected, uh, tune into the Tarawi when you can. Uh, and then, you know, you can always watch the stream later on as, as I normally do. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll turn it on in the mornings and so time. I think it's a really great, really great reminder. Thanks again, everybody. Stay safe out there. We'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Assalamu alaikum.